Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes, so each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and a thank you so much for being here today. Whoa, I am feeling (laughs) in a funny mood this morning. I hope you're having a great day. And gosh, we're doing something totally different on the podcast today. In fact, in, gosh, the entire four or five years that I've run this podcast, we've never done this before. But there is a first time for everything. My incredible therapist friend, Kobe Campbell, who has been on the podcast multiple times. If you want to go back and check out her past episodes, scroll through the show notes and we will link them. But she has a new book out and it is called Why Am I Like This? What I love about Kobe is her style is so much good, like bite-sized, chewable, accessible data points of therapy, why we are the way we are, trauma, all of that good stuff. And she actually pre-recorded an episode for us with her husband, Kyle, who is just like the cutest, most supportive, amazing cheerleader of a husband. You're about to hear from him and you're going to love him so much. And she recorded a specific episode for us called What Kind of Trauma Do You Have? I feel like trauma is now just one of these like buzzwords. We all talk about our trauma. Trauma this, trauma that. I'm triggered this. I'm triggered that. And yes, we all have trauma. But what I've also realized is if someone has dealt with something quote unquote worse than another person, and that other person doesn't think that their trauma counts. And so what Kobe does is really define what are the different styles and types of trauma. There's something called chronic trauma, and there's something called acute trauma. And then there's complex trauma. So in this episode, she defines all of those, gives them examples, and just asks really good questions like, what do you want your life to look like in five years? Is your childhood trauma keeping you unacquainted with what you desire in life? And just so much more goodness. So get ready, buckle up, get ready to hear from Kobe Campbell. 
one of my favorite therapists in the world. And also go check out her book. It's called Why Am I Like This? You can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, really anywhere books are sold. All right, I'll talk to you at the end of the episode. If you've been keeping up with my Instagram stories recently, you know that I have been determined to become a better cook. Part of that is learning the importance of using quality ingredients. I was thrilled when I learned about McAvoy olive oils, which are sustainably produced on a Northern California ranch. I love using extra virgin olive oil in my cooking because it averages a smoke point of 405 degrees Fahrenheit, which is high enough for most cooking methods. It also has high oxidative stability, which I now just learned about. It means it contains compounds that prevent the oil from deteriorating when exposed to heat during the cooking process. Pretty cool, right? I love using their extra virgin olive oil for a more robust and flavored taste. But when I'm looking to cook with a healthy oil and want the flavors of my food to shine through, I turn to their extra virgin cooking olive oil. I know my next purchase is going to be the organic lemon olive oil and the garlic olive oil because how good does that sound? Plus, McAvoy is female-founded and female-led, and you know, you know I love supporting women-led businesses. Go to mecavoyranch.com and use Refined15 for 15% off your order. That's M-C-E-V-O-Y ranch.com and use your code Refined15 for 15% off. I'm Kobe. I'm Kyle. We're going to jump right into it. So today we're going to talk about the different types of trauma. Think that it would be really helpful for you guys to understand that there are like different categories of trauma because I think it would help you understand um, which one kind of fits your experience. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how trauma affects us. Yeah. Bet. All good. right. Let's jump into it. So first, I want to give you, and this is like a good time for you to pull out a notebook, a pen, paper, your notes on your phone because. Uh, you're going to want to refer back to these as you process by yourself, with your friends, in your small group, uh, with your therapist, whoever. Okay. You could also pre-order Why Am I Like This? And when you get the book, it'll have this in there. So if you don't want to write it down, just pre-order the book. <clears throat> what he Please said. Continue. What he said. Um, so let's talk about acute trauma. Acute trauma. Acute trauma refers to a single traumatic incident that happens in your life. So one incident. And Acute trauma is often the trauma that people think of when they hear the word trauma. It is like getting hit by a car. It is being sexually assaulted. It is your house catching on fire. It is like the the big, the seemingly uh, societally big trauma, um, bring, big incident that most people think like this is what trauma is. Um, but there's a name for it, which is called acute trauma, which refers to a single incident um in the year of our lord 2023 uh we should know that very few people only have acute trauma but some people do for most um for some people they have just lives that are pretty normative and then they have like one big moment i venture to say that no one has one big moment now because we all been through a panoramic together and because really? we've been through it um we all had that one big moment and i'm sure you know if you've had another big moment in any other time in your life i feel like we're about to go into a recession that's going to be another acute trauma and we're going to talk about what it means to have several types of acute trauma um 
when you think of acute tra- trauma, what like comes to your mind? Or did you even know what that meant before I brought this up? So before I read the book, Why Am I Like This? I, I did a lot of editing for, for that book. <laughs> he did. Um, he and um, so when I read about it, it was actually one of the moments, like, I was trying to be, good, be a good husband, right? So I'm just reading and trying to help. Yeah. And then this was one of the things that, like, kind of pulled me out of spell checking into, like, oh, shoot. Because you started um, describing this, and you were describing it as, like, thinking about pebbles and boulders. Yes. Which is, I don't know if you were going to get there, so I don't want to ruin your thunder, but, like. No, go ahead, go ahead. Um. I don't want to say because I'm not going to say it right. Okay, I'll say but it. But trauma's like pebbles and boulders and whatnot. Hit them with it, babe. Okay, so people often think about trauma like there's big T and little T, right? Which is like a big trauma, like the tornado. And then the little T is like someone hurt your feelings. And really when they categorize it that way, they're really trying to say one moment is more impactful, more worthy of time, more worthy of attention than another. But um, when I talk to my clients, I talk to them about pebbles and boulders, right? You can have a boulder, and the boulder would be acute trauma, the big, undeniable, clear mass of a moment that, like, stands before you, right? I got in a car accident and changed my whole life. Yeah, absolutely. Or, like, it's literally changed my life because I can't walk or because I was injured or I have a chronic chronic back pain, something like that, right? Um, And then there's uh, chronic trauma, which I'll define, and then I'll talk about how it's pebbles. So chronic trauma um, is from prolonged and ongoing abuse, prolonged and ongoing pain, right? So chronic trauma might be the fact that growing up, you never felt safe going to your parents and simply sharing how you felt because they always dismissed it, right? Now, when you look at a car accident, based on society standards, when you look at a car accident and you look at my mom dismissed how I felt growing up, it's really easy to be like, oh, clearly the car accident is like way worse, deserves more attention, all the things. But I tell my clients, like, whether you have a big boulder car accident or you have uh, all these small moments, which are like pebbles, either way, you have the boulder or you have all these pebbles that gather into a mass of a boulder anyway, right? It's like one rock or a bunch of little rocks that together weigh the the same as a big rock, right? There is no big T and little T. There's just T, there's no big trauma and little trauma. There's just trauma, right? I talk in the book about how no one wins in the pain Olympics because no pain, gold medals in the pain Olympics, y'all. There is none. There really isn't. And the truth is, our body processes. I've said this before. Emotional pain almost identically to the way it processes physical pain. And just because someone has been, you know, experienced pain bit by bit by bit over years, doesn't mean that their pain is any less significant than a car crash that has like injured someone physically because the person who's had that emotional dismissal, that emotional abandonment, they also have injuries. What's hard about it is those injuries are harder to detect because there's not a specific moment they can trace it back to. And that's why even though we dismiss chronic trauma, oftentimes it can be worse. Like when I say worse, it can be harder to detect. That's a better way for me to say it. Cause there's no big T, no little T, just T. It can be harder to detect, but especially because oftentimes that abuse is normalized to us. It's normative. For something to be normative, for us to understand that it's not normal, we have to have exposure to something else. I don't know what's, you know, painful 
or what's not helpful unless I'm exposed to what's freeing and what is helpful. You know, until I get, and for a lot of us, when we went to college, when we got our own money, (laughs) when we got out the house, we started to realize just how painful some of our childhoods were because we had reference to like, oh, there are people who have parents that like say, I love you every day. There are people who have parents that like help them out financially and don't guilt them. There are people who have, you know, like a lot of us don't realize until we're exposed, which is like, I'll get into that later, but part of healing also is exposure to something beyond what you know. But there's something um, that includes both acute and chronic trauma sometimes, which is complex trauma, which is what I would argue a lot of us have. Complex trauma is a combination of both acute trauma and chronic trauma and or several chronic traumas or several acute traumas. It's like any combination of the two traumas, whether it's two types of ongoing concurrent chronic traumas or whether it's two types of ongoing concurrent um, or two different types of acute incidences, complex trauma, and that's what makes it complex. It's because you may be dealing with a trauma that is like a single clear moment, like a sexual abuse, and you may also be dealing with the un- the lack of safety you had at home that kept you from being able to share it with anybody, right? And all of that trauma affects us. Like that's the point of us kind of breaking down acute, chronic, complex, yeah. is that it all affects us. It can affect us all differently because we're all different people with specific contexts. But I want to reiterate, feeling unsafe, feeling dismissed, feeling abandoned emotionally for long periods of times is chronic trauma. Like, it's trauma. If, if your internal voice is mimicking the external invalidation you've heard your entire life, you've experienced chronic emotional trauma, right? And I think that that's hard for a lot of people to hold on to because a lot of people think that it's cultural, especially for us. I don't want to go there. Do I want to go there? We, we, we treat children. We treat literally anyone who's not an adult, a full-grown adult, like, they don't matter. Like their their feelings are less real. Like their pain is less visceral. Yeah. And we adultify children. So we we do the we give especially in our community and in a, a lot of minority communities. Well, sometimes it's got to be said. We treat our children with the worst of both hands. We adultify them. So we make a five year old. We hold them to the standards of maturity that a ten year old should have. We yeah. shame them for not having them having that maturity we beat them for not having that maturity we do all of those things so we adultify the kids and then at the same time we take away all of the autonomy that a more mature individual is supposed to get in exchange for their maturity a 10 year old has more um access to own their own world than a five-year-old does because they've gotten the autonomy like okay well no you can dress yourself you can make decisions you can say i don't want this but i do want that those are the sort of things we let 10 year olds do yeah so like a 10 year old has earned that by virtue of the maturity they've gotten to a place where it's like okay they they can can, handle more responsibility and and be trusted to own their own world more and more and more yeah but like what we do very often in our community is on the one hand we say well listen you just gotta you just gotta deal with this as if you're 14 like 
you've just got to be more mature. You just, you got to stop crying so much. Yeah. Like you got to stop being like, hey, I just need you to do whatever I told you to do and shut up. Yeah. Right. We do that. And then we never think about like even offering the benefits of what a 12 year old is supposed to get. So five, six, seven year old minority kids often in, in low income communities and all this stuff culturally, they get the worst of both worlds. They're stuck. They never know when they're allowed to be a kid and when they have to be an adult. Yeah. They're and, constantly stuck in this middle place when they can't win. And, and I want to I want to clarify that we like all of this ties back to like societal oppression, slavery, all the things. Mm-hmm. It's and a I'm, chronic trauma. It's a right, it's a it, maladaptive trait from yes, chronic trauma. Chronic for sure. Trauma. And a lot of it is we historically not even that we haven't known better, we haven't had the opportunity to um do better. And when I say we haven't had the opportunity to do better, what it means to allow a child to be a child means that a child gets to make mistakes. But if a little black boy makes a mistake in front of the wrong person, that's his life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I say, like, we haven't had the opportunity because systems, systems of oppression have made it so costly to allow black children to be black children. Allowing right? children to be children is a form of privilege. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like you have For to sure. have it. If you don't think about it, you won't know that. But if you actually consider what it takes to just let a kid be a kid... There's got to be other stuff in place to allow you to do that. So not everyone who treats yeah. their kid a certain way is a bad person. Yeah. They're living within a framework where they may genuinely feel like I don't have another option. Yeah. I can't afford to let my kid do something that might hurt them. Yeah, absolutely. And like this speaks specifically back to acute and um, chronic trauma, right? Because a chronic trauma might be not letting a child be a child, which can lead lead to the acute trauma of being sexually abused because the truth is children who blindly obey are more likely to be preyed upon you want your kid to listen not ask questions so what happens when an adult comes into their life and says do this and don't tell nobody you've trained the child to not discern you've trained the child not to not contextualize you've trained the child to just obey right and this is important because this doesn't we don't magically grow out of this when we turn 18 yeah (laughs) like there are a lot of people who are working at jobs that are exploiting them who are afraid to speak up to their boss because they were told not to speak back to authority there are a lot of adults experiencing abuse in uh, churches, in relationships, in work environments who still, because what trauma does is trauma freezes you emotionally. I don't know if you, mm. I've said that before. Trauma, like the ages at which you've experienced trauma, just because your body is growing does not mean that your soul and your psyche are. Just because your body is developing does not mean that your soul and your psyche are growing. There are a lot of nine-year-olds trapped in 50-year-old bodies. And a lot of us know that because we see what how our parents act. We see how our elders act when they don't get what they want. And they eerily resemble children, right? That's for a reason. That's because I feel like the black Illuminati is going to swoop through the ceiling. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Edit that out, bro. <laughs> Not the 50-year-olds look like nine-year-olds. But okay. it's true. Like, you, you, it's true. There are, yeah. a lot of, there are a lot of adults who want, who want all the benefits of being adults because they're physically older, um, but they don't want to uh, actually grow into the emotional and spiritual maturity of being adults. And then they get frustrated when people like us in our 30s come in and start pointing out like, hey, there's unhealth. Hey, that's not good. And they use their physical stature to imply that they have a level of wisdom that they have not yet earned. 
right? And I think that uh, we have to remember like how we treat people as children we we are either setting them on a path of health or yeah. we're setting them on a path of chronic trauma, right? And for many of us, we have the c- chronic trauma of not even having not even having the capacity to express desire without being shamed, right? Like, I want a bike. Well, people in hell want ice water. Yo. I didn't even ask you to buy me the bike. I just expressed that I want the bike. Man, right? I want McDonald's, but you don't got no McDonald's, McDonald's money. money. Right. And, and so what we do is we stop sharing what our actual desires are unless there's a certain likelihood that our desires can be met. And it matters that we are acquainted with our desires before our desires are met. That's literally what it means to have faith, right? Oh, yeah. You need to be able to identify what you want and hope for it. To be able to activate faith, but a lot of us don't have the capacity to activate faith um, in in a large and consistent way because to have faith for something, you have to know what you're believing for. And a lot of us are not even acquainted with what our desires are. Part of our chronic trauma is that we have been taught to shut down our ability to desire anything, to want anything. Right. And that it creates a sense of internal confusion when you become the adult in your life. When I'm supposed to choose the direction of my life and I'm supposed to contribute to my spouse's life and I'm supposed to raise children with direction. I was taught my entire life not to have any dreams. I was taught my entire life to be quiet and follow. And now I'm thrown into a position of leadership that is terrifying. Right. For a lot of us. And that can manifest in like big and small ways. Right. Like so. If you're listening right now and you have your phone nearby or something like and you can check the time, if you look at it right now, you'll see that it says hang time. Right. And it it says it says hang time because I have long hair now. This is really important. I'm coming back to you, babe. I have wanted to have long hair since I was 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I graduate. You know, I graduated at 17, not even 18. I've been an adult. On my own for over a decade, I just started growing out my hair last year. Yeah. But I've wanted to do it my whole life. Yeah. And why haven't I been able to? There's an internal voice just telling me that I couldn't want something like that, that it wasn't important enough. Like it wasn't yeah. a big enough deal yeah. to actually desire. And yeah. I remember even um, earlier in our relationship, uh, early, early Cobain Kyle's. It's like a bad reality TV show, um, mainly the Kyle <laughs> part. Um, Kobe would want me to like lead in our relationship, right? And we can have the whole conversation about what it means to be a man and a husband and a father and lead, right? And, you know, the cliff notes of that are like you don't only get to lead in making decisions. You have to lead in saying sorry. You have to lead in humility. You have to lead in all the other things, too. So you can't just lead on one end of the spectrum. So, hey, that's my TED Talk for what it means to be a man. But... She wanted me to um, to operate in these roles of leadership, and she would be like, "Well, babe, like, what do you want our world to look like in five years?" I'm like, "I don't, I don't know." And I she said, "What do you like, mean you don't know? What? what do you dream about?" I, was like, I I don't really have dreams. I guess I just I work really hard and I make some money, you know. And and she said, "Okay, but then what?" I'm like, "Yeah, well, if I'm a you know a CFO by the time I'm 35, and then I make this much money by the time I'm 40, and and I just kind of did this. And she was like, and? And I was like, well, you know. And she's like, no, tell me. What happens yeah. after you're 40? 
And it was this really sad but incredible moment where my wife helped me see I had no vision for my life past 40 years old. It was yeah. all blank. Yeah. Just like, just like, okay, well, I just know that I'm supposed to do certain things. Everything yeah. was about obedience. So even when it came to having faith, I would have to pray, God, like, don't give me vision. Just tell me what to do. If you tell me what to do, I can do it. Yeah. And Kobe would like, tell me what to do to love her. Yeah. And I would do it. But I couldn't like intuit what she needed next. Yeah. I couldn't get there. I could only be like, well, you didn't tell me to do that. So I didn't do it. And she's yeah. like, why should I have to? I told you these 10 things. Yeah. You couldn't pick up from there. And and let me jump in really quick. This speaks back to um, our first episode of this season that like God does not give Adam the names of the animals. He says, you name them. I want to see what you come up with. Spontaneity and creativity are a product of freedom. When you struggle to be spontaneous, when you struggle to be creative, there's something holding you hostage, right? And like for you, it was the limiting beliefs. It was uh, the chronic trauma you experienced growing up. It was uh, some of the cultural trappings of just what it means to grow up in America as a little black boy. Mm. Like those things held you hostage from being creative, from being able to dream, right? To be able to dream, you have to be able to suspend reality at least for a little bit. Right. You have to be able to see something in here that doesn't exist out here. And like for you, your, your life became so concrete. Everything was about about following the lead of someone else in a way that didn't allow you to lead. Forget our marriage. You like mm-hmm. lead yourself. To like, what do you want your life to look like? Your life was it was like a it was like a mosaic of all the things all the voices, all the desires of all the people you admired. Yeah. If my um, dad's idea for my life had changed when I was 23, my idea for my life would have changed. Yeah. Right? Like, And that's not like to shade him. Every, Hopefully my, my son really values my voice and wants yeah. to be just like me and all of that. There's nothing wrong with that in, its, uh, in itself. But the reality of my world, of my acute, my chronic, my complex trauma made me feel like the only thing, the only way I'm going to be safe is if I'm incredibly obedient. Yeah. Right. The only way the gangs would leave me alone was when I did what they told me to do. Yeah. And there were always people in my world who were scary, who were trying to hurt me in some way, shape or form. And the way that as a undersized, really nerdy, you know, six-year-old who's two grades ahead like you don't you can't do anything but just get good at anticipating what other people want you to do yeah and that's the only way to be safe and so but then you you know one day the little boy grows up or rather he doesn't but he's living in a grown-up's body yeah and now it's like uh i don't know if you've seen you've seen talladega nights right uh not enough to remember any ricky bobby uh quotes babe (sighs) talladega nights is one of the greatest movies of all time so it's just why am I like this as a book and then Talladega Nights, right? So fine. <laughs> There's a point where he's doing an interview and his hands keep rising up because he doesn't know what to do. And he keeps saying, I don't know what to do with my hands. And it's hilarious and you should watch it. But that's what I, I woke up at like 21, 22, got a job, was like set for the future and was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah. No one's telling me what to do next. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, you know, I think about chronic trauma and you were a good kid growing up, weren't you? I was the best of kids. Trust me, the good had all the emotional uh, 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 air. I wanted to invite my girlfriend over (laughs) when my parents were out of town and called my dad and asked if I could because I was so like, 
well, I can't not, you know, I can't just be disobedient. Like, maybe he'll say yes. And of course, he laughed at me and said, are you, are you crazy? No. And then I actually listened to him, right? Like, I was that type of weird, obedient kid. It was good, I'm sure, for my parents in some ways, but it was not good for me in a lot of different ways. Real talk, I have bad BO. Like, real bad. Left to my own devices, I smell like I am wearing week-old gym clothes, and I really wish I was exaggerating. So finding a good deodorant has been a passion of mine for a long time. I've tried so many non-toxic deodorants over the years, but none of them worked. But then I discovered Primally Pure. A friend of mine swore by them and even gave me one of her bottles for free and said, trust me. And she was right. I have now used Primally Pure's deodorant religiously for the past five years, and I don't have to worry about how I smell anymore. My personal favorite of theirs is the charcoal deodorant. And by this point, I've pretty much used every single product that Primally Pure has to offer from their bath soak to body butter, and I'm always incorporating their products into my daily skincare routine. So go to link.primallypure.com slash the refined woman and use code TRW10 to get 10% off your purchase. That's link.primallypure.com slash the refined woman and get 10% off your purchase with the code TRW10 or simply use the link in the show notes or episode description. I was the very opposite. Meek Mill's house party music video was shot at my house. Okay, guys, at my house, okay? It was, I was a very wild, belligerent child. As If my parents went to Costco for too long, it was a party. You I'm know? stressed out just hearing this. Like, my heart is fluttering. Oh, my God. Uh, the Christian in me is not supposed to say it was a good time, but that version of me knew it was a good time, okay? I, um... I think that one of the like weird paradigms that I'm realizing is like obedient children only only stand in the favor of the world for so long. Right. It only lasts for so long. And like I work with so many people and like my twin sisters, this person, I work with so many people who did exactly what they were told. And there are promises that the people who told them and directed them could not cash out on. Come on. You told me to go to college. You told me to be obedient. You told me to do this. You told me to do that. And like at the end of the day, guess what? I now don't have a job. Yep. <laughs> I now I don't have the job I want. I don't yeah. have the relationship you said I'd have. Yeah. I don't have the I don't have any of the things that you guys said being the right person would always give me. And if we really want to go there, th- this is something that's that it's universal for sure, but it's especially true of the church. And you know that, that like when we got married, I wasn't a virgin. And the way that people felt about the idea that I got to marry the pastor's son and they didn't because they were virgin. Like it was very uh, wild. Just watch Greenleaf and be like (laughs) some of that, just copy and paste. It was wild, ridiculous stuff. It would, it became this world where people felt entitled because they were promised by people who couldn't cash out that if you do what I say, you'll get the good thing. Guess right. Doing the right thing doesn't always get you the good thing. And then the bad kids <laughs> are out here, you know, not all of them. We got our emotional issues for sure. But at the end of the day, we're taking risks. You know, like I was telling you this the other day. I actually think it was God's grace that sometimes when adults said things to me, I'd be like, you're a liar. (laughs) I don't believe you. Because it was almost like the Holy Spirit giving me the courage 
to reject the lies that people wanted to sow into my life. Right. Because like at the end of the day, the very characteristics that made me a difficult child to deal with are the very characteristics that make me a fantastic therapist right now. I'm not I'm not afraid to tell the truth. I'm I'm okay with paying the price of the truth. I'm okay with you not liking me. I'm okay with you being upset with me. Will I cry? Absolutely. But I'm still going to do what I, what I know is right. <laughs> no, I'm going to cry. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to cry. But I'm going to do what I need to do. That's correct. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think back to the people whose lives like were spent in service to this idol that can't move this idol of societal goodness, this idol to societal ease, like be quiet, shut up, do what we say, and you will get married. You will get a house. You will get a job. But like the truth is you being the obedient and easy to manage kid was chronic trauma that actually just made you an easier target for other adults to manipulate you. Right. And so like there are so many people who are angry because we've been taught that this societal. First of all, we've conflated goodness with ease. If you're easy to deal with, it's because you're good. That's not true. Right? We all know, we all went to high kid? school with the person who like looked like they was like the the perfect kid, and you knew they were doing everything, but yeah. they looked good. And it's not even about like what you're doing. I, th- I think that a lot of us have like been taught that like the more convenient you are to other people, the more your worth increases. But in adulthood, like a lot of the people, and this is just my opinion. I don't know anyone who enjoys their life, who genuinely enjoys their life as an adult, who has not been accustomed to not being liked and who has not been accustomed to not taking risks. Every every single one. Yeah. But there's a sense of self you have to have to take risks. But when you have given your sense of self on the altar of acceptance, (laughs) on the altar of safety, the perception of safety, Who's going to give you the strength to take risks? Hopefully the Lord and community and therapy. But like, that's also what chronic trauma looks like. Chronic trauma looks like waking up at 30 one day and realizing you have no clue who you are, because your life is just a, a fruit medley of <laughs> other people's thoughts, feelings, and opinions. Mm. Right? Yeah. I think one of the things that, like we talk about acute, chronic, complex trauma, and it's, we're really talking about the the reason why it's important is because the things that you can't speak about, it's very difficult to address. Yeah. Right. Just like, yeah, for sure. you know, if someone, if your spouse, those of you who are married, if your spouse asks you, babe, why do you love me? And you can't answer it. You need 30 minutes to come back. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be a problem, right? Sure. Because in <laughs> some sense, like the things that you know and you feel, you should be able to just put words to, right? Yeah. Like there's nuance Not there, always, but like, but yeah. you know, but like there, we know when you know something, when you can tell somebody about it. Yeah. And so for, I know for me, like I found out, I became awakened to the idea of like, oh, maybe I didn't grow up as normal as I thought. <laughs> maybe you know like oh like yeah. i read my whole elementary school library by myself and i used to think that that was just kind of cool but then like you start to think about what does it take for a seven or eight year old to have enough time to do that it's like oh i was just was hiding pride. from bullies and the yeah. you know the librarians would let me hide <laughs> in the library and because i was smart enough 
My teachers didn't make me go to class because they knew I knew the stuff. I spent, half, you know, half my childhood hiding in books. Yeah. And it's like, so you become awakened to that. Yeah. And part of it is like, it's so overwhelming. Like, okay, well, what, well, what's wrong with me? What's right about me? What are the bad things that God has like redeemed and made good things? Like yeah. what, what's worth keeping about me? What's worth throwing away? I have no idea. Yeah. And being able to say, okay, okay, this was acute. So this was like a moment. This was actually chronic. Like this happened a lot. And then here, this is complex. For instance, I may cry. I try to be intentional about actually crying because not enough, not enough (laughs) cool black men with, with long hair do enough crying in public. Okay. So if it comes, I'm just going to let it flow. But I can remember being like uh, seven or eight years old. This is a moment I've talked about with my brother. I like cried and apologized to him about it he's like bro i don't even really remember that which is its own podcast how two people can experience the same thing and like not even see it the same way yeah i was being beat up um there was a lot of like gang activity and my twin brother who's younger than me has always been my little brother um and in many different ways i would do what i thought would get me the most attention from the bullies Because I wanted to protect my little brother. And there was a moment I just kept getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Though I wouldn't have called it that at the time. But now I can see it as just deep rage at the world. And also at my little brother. Mm. That he existed. And that I needed to bear more pain. Because he existed. And that I had to. Because he existed. And so there are acute moments of being bullied, like, of, or not bullied, being beaten, yeah. being like assaulted, in, assaulted. <laughs> yeah. There's the chronic moments of an overarching just fear and concern and lack of safety. And then there's like this one moment when me and my brother were arguing. We weren't even arguing. I was just angry mm. and I held him down and I took a flashlight and I held, I sat on his shoulders held his eyelids open and shined the flashlight in his eyes until he could not see for no reason. He's just crying and I'm holding him down. And I carried that moment of like shame of like, how could I do that? What am I? Oh, I'm a monster. I'm the thing. I'm not protecting my brother. I'm the thing that he needs to be protected of. Like all this different stuff. Mm. But it was a, it was a moment of complex trauma because I did something to someone else because of what was being done to me. And I had feelings about my brother that weren't fair because of what I felt like I had to do for him. And then I go throughout the rest of my life with this latent fear of like, I'm not safe. I can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. The people who, who rely on me will find out one day that I'm actually the dude that will hold you down and shine a light into your eyes until you're blinded. Yeah. And so then it, it, it trickled into my relationships where I would get close to people and find reasons to make them not trust me because I wanted to protect them from trusting me too much. Yeah. That's a really warped story, but that's like, that's a real life example of how acute trauma, chronic trauma can turn into something so complex. When you hear it all, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And, but like, you got to understand the pieces. You can't just wake up at nine years old. Like, why did Kyle do that to his little brother, who he loves? 
yeah. who not even little but my twin brother anyone who knows us we're the same person basically yeah. uh well not anymore but we used to be the same person basically that's my best friend and how could i get just just randomly seriously hurt him he couldn't see for like 20 minutes i thought it actually blinded him thank god he can see now kind of but he's weird so sometimes he don't be seeing stuff but like just to put like flesh on some of the examples like it's yeah. It can be that nuanced and also stick with you in your marriage. And now you're trying to get close to your wife, but you feel like every time she begins to trust you, you find a reason to make her not trust you and you yeah. can't explain it to her. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be that too. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, as you're talking, one well, thank you for sharing that. As you're talking, what I'm thinking about is the last episode we had where you said like start a step before like right if we started a step before like this is not just about a a six-year-old nine-year-old kid who got so angry he stuck a flashlight in someone's eye this is a story about a six nine-year-old kid who was placed the responsibility of protector in a way that he could not psychologically handle right like that it was never your job to be your own protector and it was never your job to be your brother's protector and so, like, if we start a step earlier when telling the story, this is not a story about what a six-year-old did. This is a story about the pressure a six-year-old had to carry that led him to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, again, that takes a lot of empathy. It takes a lot of insight. And, like, you're right. That's, that's complex trauma. It's trauma related to, like, why weren't you protected, right? Yeah. Trauma related to, like, the product of not being protected, which is like the acute trauma of being beat up trauma related to like even the trauma of being the exact same age as someone, but somehow one's parentified in a way the other one isn't right. Like all of that mashed together, like that's, that is complex trauma. Right. And what you touched on that I think I kind of want us to like reflect on as we end this episode is how your trauma changes your perception of yourself and others. Yeah. Your experience of having to carry the weight of being protector as a six-year-old, one, made you see yourself as more responsible for things you weren't responsible for and things you had no control over and no autonomy. If you wanted to protect your brother, what were you going to do? You're the same size. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and then it also changed your perception of your brother. It changed your perception of someone else. No longer is he someone to connect to, kind of like the Adam Eve situation, not bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now it's the person you place here with me. Yeah. Not my brother, who's my friend, not the person I get to do life with. Now the person who burdens me, the person who stresses me out, the person who makes my life harder to exist, right? Um, and then it changed our perception of God, right? Because our idea of what a what good is becomes seen through the lens of the trauma that we have. Cause now as if you grew up as a six year old who had to constantly protect other people, you might grow up into an adult who thinks that someone loving you means that they have to constantly protect you even at the expense of their own safety. Right. Yeah. And then you start to get angry at God when people don't sacrifice their lives for you, <laughs> but not everyone's called to do that. But you were taught as a kid that that's what that's what it means to be a good protector. A good protector, a good friend is willing to destroy their entire lives for me, is willing to bear under so much pain on my behalf. God will call certain people to do that for us, but not everybody. Right. And then we look at God like, dang, God, well, how come I don't have good friends? Like, no, you have good friends. Your caliber, your the way that you measure goodness and friendship is just off. Yeah. You need to recalibrate. Right. And so. 
I would love for us to like just take time to think through like what kind of trauma do I think I have? I would say complex, but like it's up to you. You decide <laughs> autonomy. Like, right. Do, do I see the acute trauma? Do I see the chronic trauma? Do I see the complex trauma? Um, and if I do see all of these or any of these, how did it affect the way I saw myself, others and God? Yeah. I think yeah. that's a good place for us to land the plane you guys, you can order my brand new book, Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma, and Restore Your Faith. It comes out April 4th, 2023. And um, if you want to join an amazing community of people who are ready to laugh, grow, heal together, join my inner circle. You get three months completely for free. I have devotionals in there, courses in there. We're talking every single day, daily check-ins, meetups, events, all the things. If you want to get deeply connected, then join us again it's free for three months um and then if you're looking for a therapist i have expanded my practice i have maria she is amazing she um it's just an awesome person she provides therapy in both english and in spanish so um if you're bilingual or if you are um connected to a family or which just would rather just want to do services in Spanish. You have that option. Um, also, Kyle is joining our practice as a coach. So if you want to see hey, someone who's not me, who has a uh, hang time, then <laughs> you can see Kyle. Yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I mean, listen, if you just need an expert and someone who really knows their stuff, but you'll settle for someone who lays in the same bed with that person, I'm your guy. I'll be here for you. We are so grateful for you guys. Oh my gosh, I love Kobe. I'm so grateful, Kobe, for you, for your time, for your words, for sharing your heart and your expertise with us. Something that really stood out to me that she said is trauma freezes you in time. There are a lot of nine-year-olds trapped in 50-year-old bodies. I would venture to say there's a lot of six-year-olds trapped in 30-year-old bodies, 20-year-old bodies, all of the age groups. And that just resonated with me so much because I feel it. I feel it. And I think another point she really brought up is, you know, what we resist persists. And so if you are feeling stuck, if you are wanting more, I have such great news for you. This week on Patreon, Kobe does another VIP exclusive episode just for us. So it's for Patreon members only. So if you want to join Patreon, that's patreon.com slash the refined collective. It's just five bucks to join the community. And what she talks about in this Patreon exclusive is how to change your patterns. So she talks about the number one reason people start therapy is to change patterns. And spoiler alert, the patterns you can't change are a reflection of the pain you haven't addressed yet. Woo! That is a word that will preach right there, my friend. And she also talks about how being stuck in a pattern is not a moral failure. And before you can change, the first number one step you have to do is acknowledge what role it played in your life. So I ask you, what are patterns you want to change that you feel like you can't? Those patterns might just be the access point to some of the greatest healing and breakthrough in your life. So go ahead, check out Kobe Campbell on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. And also be sure and check out her new book. It is out. It is amazing. Why am I like this? 
And remember, we're only doing two episodes on The Refined Collective a month, so I will see you in May. 